data science do's and don'ts when helping with a pandemic. I'm Tanya Hall and joining me is Dr. Robert Monroe, author and CEO of Machine Learning Consulting. Welcome, Robert. Thanks, Tanya. It's great to be here. Welcome back. Give us a brief summary of your background and describe the type of work you do at Machine Learning Consulting. Hey there. Yeah, I'm a, a machine learning professional. Uh, I've been working as an engineer, scientist, uh, product leader, and executive um, in various machine learning companies worldwide. Um, so this has taken me from Australia originally, um, in Europe where I, I worked in documented indigenous languages, uh, West Africa where I worked in post-conflict development for the United Nations uh, in refugee camps in Sierra Leone and Liberia, uh, and then here to Silicon Valley. Uh, I came here uh, to get a PhD at Stanford, where I focused on machine learning applied to healthcare and disaster response. Uh, since then, I've continued to work as a disaster responder, responding to um, disasters worldwide, like earthquake in Haiti in 2010, floods in Pakistan that year, uh, Hurricane Sandy here in New York, uh, several hurricanes um, uh, uh, off the Florida and off of Florida and, and neighboring states. Um, uh, as well as a number of different um, responses uh, during the Arab Spring, uh, currently helping with, uh, with COVID-19 as well. Uh, and so I've done all of this disaster response work in, in parallel with, with being a machine learning professional. Uh, so at the, the same time, I've been an executive at a number of AI startups, uh, and I also ran product for AWS's first natural language processing and machine translation services. Uh, and today, I'm CEO of... Uh, machine learning consulting. Uh, so we help large companies adopt uh, machine learning practices, incorporate them into their products um, in a way where hopefully the consumer doesn't even need to know um, that they're using machine learning. It's just helping them with whatever jobs that they're trying to get done. Um, and this has covered a variety of areas, including tech companies here, uh, making agriculture smarter and more efficient with computer vision. Um, and I was working in uh, food safety and epidemics uh, around food safety. Uh, before COVID hit. Um, uh, and since COVID, I've now been working, um, advising a number of organizations uh, with the response, uh, including some of the, the major organizations identifying misinformation um, and the World Health Organization's um, uh, response system uh, where they have a WhatsApp chat um, that tens of millions of people around the world are using to get information uh, about COVID. Uh, so needless to say, this is something that, that brings together my, my machine learning um, and my disaster response background. I want to talk about COVID-19 and the recent blog post that you, uh, you wrote, five ways data scientists can help respond to COVID-19 and five actions to avoid. But before we discuss the list, you mentioned a variety of um, disasters and uh, situations you've been in. Explain the experience that brought you to these kinds of recommendations? Yeah, so um, uh, in, in a lot of disasters I've responded to, and in, in most of them, uh, I've seen a lot of people rush in to try and respond and, and typically um, do more harm than good, uh, despite having the, the best of intentions. Uh, public health and uh, managing infectious diseases and, and disaster response more broadly is really hard um, really hard activities. Um, uh, most of the time you're, you're working with very limited resources. You have to make decisions really quickly um, and it builds on a, a lot of expertise um, uh, that you'll get over the years. Uh, so as, as an analogy, um, 
if you were to work up to a hospital, uh, have you never worked in healthcare before? Um, you, you shouldn't be offended um, that you're given a mop and bucket um, when you're, you're volunteering. You, you should not be invited in to, uh, to help with surgery, um, that the best of intentions aren't going to help there. And uh, you're just going to get in the way and, and probably do more harm than good. Uh, so the same um, is true um, uh, when people with the best of intentions, uh, especially data scientists, uh, come in and, and try to do their own analysis, um, uh, try to understand what um, what the spread might be. Um, it can create a lot of noise and it can uh, also focus on the wrong topics. Um, uh, so it can create a lot of noise around personal protection or distancing, um, uh, which isn't based on good science. Um, and I find that... Um, you know, especially true from people from my background, from machine learning backgrounds, um, uh, because good epidemiologists that, that I've worked with in the past um, are really good at understanding confidence intervals. Um, and most machine learning scientists don't know how to uh, calculate confidence intervals. Um, uh, so it's really important when, when you're working, uh, especially in epidemics with small amounts of data, um, that you have uh, statistical rigor um, and, and knowledge around the right kind of statistics to apply. So what are some of the do's? Yeah, so um, there's a lot of ways that, that people can help. And most of the work that goes into disaster response is, is not trying to uh, predict the immediate effects of that disaster. So most of the work going into the COVID response right now is, is not trying to predict um, what the, um, the number of cases is going to be at, at certain locales. That's certainly important, but most of what you're, uh, what we're trying to do is, is around getting the right information to people um, uh, about their personal protections, what the symptoms are, uh, at what point should they be contacting their, their healthcare providers, uh, how can they look after their, uh, the people around them. Uh, and so among all these kinds of other activities, uh, there are a lot that data scientists can do. Uh, one of the simplest things is um, helping the people around you interpret information. Uh, so if you're watching this, uh, if you're watching this show, chances are you come from a technical background. Um, you have some good statistical knowledge. You're able to interpret when something might be misinformation. Uh, so you can see that there might be a graph, but it's not actually labeled. Um, or um, it's erroneously mapping two different things to each other. There's a log scale, which, which changes the interpretation. Um, uh, or people are trying to interpret evidence from a graph as causation um, when it's only showing uh, correlation. Uh, so these are probably um, tasks that you have to, to think about every day in, in a technical day job, but all of your family might not. Um, so for, for people in your immediate circle, if you can help them um, understand, okay, like, you know, this is a good graph. This is published by a, a reputable um, institution that studies infectious diseases. Um, this is an actual public uh, health official. Um, uh, then that um, goes a long way uh, just in itself, uh, just doing that in your home. Um, among the, uh, uh, the other things that you can do, if you, you happen to speak a language other than English, uh, translated information into those languages are important. Um, a lot of, uh, especially scientific publications, only come out in English initially. Uh, and English only makes up about 5% of the world's conversations daily. Uh, so 95% of the world's conversations are, are in 7,000 other languages. Um, and uh, for a lot of these, um, information typically does not get translated into those languages. And this is uh, actually the biggest difference I've seen between this and, and past disasters that I've responded to. Most of the time, uh, disasters are very localized. It's, it's an earthquake or, or a conflict or, or flood in. 
and we're trying to get a lot of people into to one region really, really quickly. Um, and it's hard logistically. Uh, but there's normally only a handful of languages that we care about. Um, for, for disasters of, of COVID size or, or larger um, uh, that are, I've worked with in the last 20 years, this is the best responded to disaster ever, um, simply because the response is distributed across every healthcare professional in the world. So we're fortunate in that regard. Um, However, uh, because it is spread across the world, it means we have to translate information in, into probably three or 4,000 languages to realistically um, uh, uh, get the right behavior from, from everyone that we need. Uh, so that's super hard. If, if you're able to help with that, then, then that's really valuable. Uh, so there, there's a, these are things that you can just do in your community. Uh, more specific technical things. Um, so if you've ever worked in, in data analytics or, or in machine learning, um, you know that you spend more time preparing the data um, than doing anything else. Uh, and the same is true in, in epidemiology. Uh, so if you haven't worked in epidemiology before, you're probably not gonna be able to come up with a good model to, to predict um, the spread of disease or, or how many cases might be uh, detected somewhere. However, you can help prepare that data. Uh, so a lot of data that might be published by, by different hospitals or, or healthcare providers, is gonna be in slightly different formats. They'll use slightly different naming conventions for locations. Um, this is a lot of just kind of grunt work that, that needs to go into making sure these data sets um, are aligned with each other and can be used. And so that's something that you can do to, to, help, with, um, uh, to help with the response. Uh, there's also a lot you can do in, in analyzing data that is, is not directly related to, to the response. Uh, so good examples here would be um, analysis of human behavior and what stress that might put or take away um, from healthcare systems. Uh, so when I was responding to the outbreak of Ebola in, in West Africa, uh, one of the things we wanted to look at was the impact of people um, potentially dying from preventable illnesses because they were afraid to go to clinics and hospitals. They thought they might contract Ebola if they went to the clinics. And we, we worked out that for every person that died from Ebola, 10 more died from preventable illnesses because uh, they weren't um, attending the clinics. Uh, so this was really important information um, to try and make sure that we were toning down or, or trying to get the media to tone down a lot of the sensationalist coverage um, that was um, being broadcast um, uh, within the country. Um, because it was having a, just a, a really terrible net, um, net negative effect. Um, and so there, there's a lot that you can do here, um, some of it on the positive side. Um, so looking at the impact of the environment um, now that people are sheltering in place. Um, looking, uh, so one great study looking at the reduction in accidents in I think it was Seattle and how that's um, uh, taking a load off the hospitals um, so that they can focus more on COVID. Uh, there's just you know, a ton of really interesting changes in human behavior right now. Uh, that you can analyze as a data scientist or even engineer interested in data science. Um, and there's no downside necessarily to, um, uh, to, to sharing uh, your results. Unlike if you're trying to you know, do the equivalent jump into the, the, uh, the surgery. Um, and then uh, finally, um, uh, there's a lot of existing data sets out there from, from past disasters. Uh, so uh, working with a few different data sets combined from disasters that, that um, I'd responded to in the past, um, it's an open source data set. Uh, it's been used already by um, Udacity, Nano Degree for Data Science, um, AI for All use it uh, to train um, school children to, to be disaster, uh, to be uh, computer scientists. 
Um, uh, it's also part of a few different courses that's been used at MIT, Northwestern, and, and Stanford. So these data sets are out there and open. Um, there are disaster response messages um, sent in multiple different languages during disasters. And simple things like understanding the, the content, how that content changes over time. Can we build systems to automatically translate these messages? Can we build systems to automatically find out what's time critical versus not time critical? Um, any kind of analysis that you do in these past disasters, it's going to help us as well um, in the, the, COVID, uh, the current COVID response. Um, so I, I strongly encourage anyone who's interested to look at those. All right, Robert, where can our audience find your post and maybe even get a preview of your book, Human in the Loop, Machine Learning? Yeah, so uh, my post, uh, Five Ways Data Scientists Can Help um, Respond to COVID-19, uh, it's probably easiest to search it. Um, it's on my, my, um, my Medium page. Uh, it was also published by Katie Nuggets. Uh, so Katie Nuggets is the uh, I guess most popular uh, data science blog. Uh, and uh, if you're interested in, in my book, Human and Loop Machine Learning, where I actually uh, use disaster response data as a, um, as a worked example throughout, um, having started that before COVID, um, uh, you can go to menin.com. Uh, Menin are the publishers for my book. Uh, you'll find a free preview of the book there and the ability to purchase electronic or hard copy. Dr. Robert Monroe, author and CEO of Machine Learning Consulting. If somebody wants to connect with you personally, Robert, how can they do that? If you'd love to connect um, directly with me, uh, please do. I am uh, happy to connect on LinkedIn, and you can also find me on Twitter at www.rob. Right. Thanks again, Robert. And Thank you, Tanya. And find more of my interviews right here or at tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.